It's another session with the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. Starring Bruce, John, Trav, Pixie. So sit back and groove with us cats as we spin another session of the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. Tech Games Podcast. We were talking about Xeno Archaeology and the types of people who do it. This time we talk about how you go about doing those digs with our hosts, John, Bruce, and Trav. And they're the nicest people you ever meet, as long as you don't have puppies around or small pets. So, you know, so that that does bring a question. So you have all these places where things could be and worlds to look for. Where do you look? You know, what do, what do you look with? You know, what, what, what can you find? Well, if this was back in the 50s, you'd be getting your spaceship and going to each one of those worlds and looking around for stuff. And, you know, but this is the days of, you know, big telescopes. And we're seeing plants right now around worlds. And and was it within a couple of years, within a year or so, we're going to have the James Webb up and operational and they'll be able to see smaller planets and they'll be able to take their spectra and know what's in their atmosphere. Who's to say in 2448? Yeah, it's a stellar survey. This is a planetary survey. Yeah, it it costs you a million bucks because it takes time to look for everything. But yeah, you can a million bucks. We can scan a star for you and tell you where everything is. We may even give you maps of the world if it's in the right if it's conveniently located you know around the star and at least of at least half the planet you know at the very least if it's not conveniently located and we'll tell you if it's breathable with straight if there's any strange gases in there and if there's any large moons um we can't tell if there's any anything else but we can tell if there's large moons yeah and so yeah you'll Planetary surveys are the things you want to do with telescopes. It basically gives you everything. Now, if you're self-funding or if you are crowdfunding, what you're going to do is probably go look for places that have already been dug at. You know, a world that that had a previous civilization will have hundreds, if not thousands of sites, and only the top five will probably have been dug by a previous expedition. So these are places you can go to and do some more digging. You might find something, you know, you're, you know, yourself fun, you know, so, so yeah, reading up on previous digs is always a good idea. You know, you might have, you might find something that, hey, someone else has found and we can use and, you know, someplace else, or you can go dig where they, where they dug and see if you can find something missed. But, you know, so yeah, planting surveys, they cost, um, you might get some, you know, so things you can get out of a planetary survey, you know, you can, you know where the planets are, what their orbits are, what the, you know, 
you know where they're located. Uh, you can get some a, ba a basic mapping of the world. You can know how much water is on it, how maybe atmospheric pressure. Uh, you can usually tell that through t water temperature and how and, and clouds. But it's still, you won't know exactly where the air pressure is until you actually get there. That's a harder thing to get. Uh, you can look look at the atmosphere and look and see if it has any telltales of civilization. You look at Earth, hey, we got lots of stuff in the atmosphere that tells you we got uh, people living here. <laughs> so atmospheric um, uh, telltale, you know, uh, chemicals and so forth, you know, that will give you some ideas of, of things. Um, also, heat uh, infrared surveys. So you're looking, you know, there's a big hot spot on the backside of the planet. Hmm. But there's no sign of a volcano or anything when we see the front side. Wonder what's there, you know, and things like that. Um, if there's any L5, uh, you know, basically big O'Neill colonies, you might see them. Might if they're within ten light years, uh, there you know you, you, past ten light years you're not going to see them, but within ten light years you might see them. Uh, and, you know, so yeah, planetary surveys are always something you can do, and maybe someone else is, you're lucky and someone else has already done it. You just got pay pay access to have access to that information. Uh, one uh, w and there's one of course um, looking for any signs of asteroid mining. Now I don't know what those signs are because we haven't done it yet. But I have a feeling that you know, when we start mining asteroids, we'll know what asteroid mining looks like in a system. What kind of details and de you know debris and so forth you'll, that says someone's mining here versus rocks are crashing here. There'll probably be a big difference between the two. And yeah, so you might be able to determine if there's been asteroid mining in a system, which tells you another place to go looking for stuff. Um, and of course, I'm, and this is the bit where I'm going to skip a bit. Uh, there's a lot of information here, and we're going to make this available on the uh, on the Tritech site, also on our forums, and I'm also uh, have, have talked to uh, Winchell Chung of the Atomic Rocket site, and he has a section on Xenu archaeology. He would love to put this in. So yeah, it'll be available in three different places. So I'm going to skip a bit. Because uh, there's, there's a lot, as Bruce said, there's like ten pages worth of information. We're not going. We're we're not going to drag you all through that. We're just going. I'm just going to cover the 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 highlights. Um, but basically, you know, when you assemble your ex expedition, governments are going to be thorough. They're going to have everything. You're looking at a minimum of four ships, three uh three you know two cargo, one personnel, and maybe an ICL uh patrol ship. Or if you're corporate or you, or if you're corporate or um, organized crime, a gunship. Uh, the difference between a gunship and a patrol ship is the difference between a flatbed truck truck uh, with a gun on the back and a tank. They both are dangerous, but one will take out the uh, the tank will take out the flatbed truck nine times out of ten. So, and the reason is is that well, Esco space for the most part. It's friendly space. There's absolutely no reason for you to go around armed. I mean, you know, it's, it's equivalent of, of, of semi-trucks mounting machine guns on, the, on, on top of the roofs while going down the interstate. It isn't something you do. So they're all offense and no defense. Yeah. 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 But you see, gunships are, are basically, you've taken an existing cargo ship, you pulled out the bits that make it a cargo ship, and you tacked on weapons. 
but it doesn't have the the same profile, the operational profile that a tr- that a dedicated warship would have. Right. It basically runs in. It does a you know a blitz attack, and if there's too much resistance, it just flies away. Uh, corporations also will bring along asteroid movers in case they find something that you know you can't reason with or deal with. Dropping a rocket on it works most most times. So yeah, so you expect that. Uh, then a lot of things, you know, a lot of stuff you need, you know, you, everything you would think you would need for a four-year stay on a on a world, you know. And some of the things work both on planet, on you know, with atmospheres and on airless moons, like inflatable, um, uh, inflatable uh, bases and so forth. One one thing you have to understand with corporate government and organized crime. They, you know, after four or five years, they'll look in, and the and the bean counters will pull out the, the the slide rules, or the calculators, or the spreadsheets, or whatever they're using, and say, well, after five after five years or four years or however long it's taken to do the dig, it's not worth taking them off the planet. And then they leave them. I mean, one of the main reasons a lot of folks like hitting these things is that they're just covered in stuff that basically, the bean counter said they can't afford to take off the planet. The the really good stuff like the the spectra, like the like the mass spectrometers they come off, the inflatable base yeah stays. Who we don't need to bring it back, you know. It's just it's 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 uh, what's not amortized. It's um depreciated to the point where it costs more to take it off the planet than to leave it and buy new. You know, so you'll find a lot of stuff left behind. And that's where a lot of secondhand equipment shows up in the market. People show up and say, look, they live a perfectly good inflatable, inflatable base. Deflate it, pack it up, and we'll take it away. And we'll sell it on the market, and we'll make some money off of it. You know, things like that. I mean, it's, it's, a lot of stuff gets left behind. Now, things, some things are left behind on purpose. Everything they surveyed with the remote-operated vehicles, the remote-operated vehicle stays. It's a claim. Basically, it has a claim beacon built out onto it, and it will keep broadcasting its claim for years. They're they're, hard, they're, they're hardy, and you know, and they're usually solar powered. They just run for years, beaming out the claim. This is this belongs to whoever you know laid the claim. Other things they you know, they, you know they'll just uh, leave behind. Uh, vehicles they probably take. They're, you know, you know, a truck is a truck is a truck. An air ve- you know, an air vehicle is an air vehicle. We don't want to leave that behind. But a bunch of stuff would just get left behind, and it's all good stuff. Um, they'll also leave the satellites in place because you know what? The satellites will just keep going around and build up information. And if they need to come back, hey, they they got lots of inf- more information on the planet. We can dig through it and see if we find anything new. It also means they're probably encrypted, so that when you know the organized crime or the claim jumpers show up and they hit the satellites, uh, we got decrypted information because it's all been encrypted. But still, you know, if you're doing this for a living, you probably know how to decrypt it. <laughs> or you bought the keys from somebody, bribed somebody. Yeah, but yes, you can imagine that we're, we're talking, I have like 23 bullet points on what you need for a government organized crime or university expedition. Self-funded, it's 10 bullet points. You know, because basically self-funded, crown-funded, you're buying, you're you're leasing a ship. Now, if you're rich enough, you probably own a ship. So that's one thing you don't have to worry about. Uh, you're going to need, you're going to need some sort of propellant plant because you're going to be using up fuel and propellant on that world. So you need some way of making more fuel. And it's usually secondhand. I wonder where you got it, got that from. Um, weapons. 
always want to bring weapons because if it's, if it's half of the world, it means it has, it's got critters living there, and the critters may decide yeah. to take a bite and see if you're if you're tasty or not. They uh, want to add you to the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. You might uh, request a visit, maybe once or twice a year, from uh, a patrol ship to come in the system. I mean, basically, if you've been hit by raiders, uh, so sad, too bad. But maybe they'll be able to give you um, a pirate victory by blowing them out of the sky when they show up. Um, but yeah, it's uh, oh, and lots and lots of pot noodles because you know, hey, you're not going to be uh, you're going to be packing enough food for five years on some of these digs, and basically, and for personnel, whoever you can convince to come with you, this is I would say the number one way of most play, most player digs would go. You know, they basically, uh, it's um, sort of put together and no one knows what they're doing. And, hey, it'll work. I mean, that's basically what I'm describing there is pretty much what, what you saw back in the 30s and 20s. And we made lots of discoveries with those kind of folks. Um, you know, and uh, now, we, of course, now we got to deal with the pot sealers, tomb raiders, the, 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 those guys. Well, they got starships. With, the, the starships will have guns. They'll have shuttles with guns. They'll carry guns. Uh, they also have a bunch of guy with guns. It's a theme coming from here. I think you're catching. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll probably have some industrial excavators, you know, basically robo, you know, uh, robo dozers or kill dozers, which are, you know, probably kill dozers. Um, and they also will spend lots of money on bribes to find out who's digging where. Cause let's be honest, some, you know, some digs are going to be secret, when when the Ajax Corporation sends a dig out to City Alpha Five, they're not going to tell anyone they're doing it. They're just, the only people who know is, is it will be Isco, and they're they're not going to tell anyone. So you you're going to need to bribe somebody to find out where that 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 small fleet of ships went to, and then you follow along and you know jack or jump that claim. So now, combat archaeologists they're they're coming two flavors: government and corporate. Um, Government and I create a new class of ship, the ICL Pharaoh class combat archaeology assault ship. It's capable of planetary bombardment. Oh, um, with fusion warheads. It also carries six assault drop sh drop shuttles. Lots of weapons all around. We got a crack team of combat ar archaeologists and assault troops, armored personnel carriers, autonomous air assault drones with dead man systems, so that if something tries to take them over. You just hit a button, they blow up, and they can't be used against you. And it's really simple. All you need is a relay that's activated by a radio signal, and they blow up. Of course, it does mean if the if the thing he knows about, they can make him blow up also. But still, no one's going to use it against you at that point. Uh, and and you also will need things like mimetic vision and audio hack protection. Now, this is something, like I said, forty years ago, we never thought of it. Maybe. But yeah, uh, if you ever read Snow Crash by Neil St Stevenson, no, it doesn't sound familiar. No, it's it's a cyberpunk novel, but part of it is around a mimetic hack. Someone found an audio hack you can do to basically take over people, and a, a vision hack is will is some sort of pattern that will make will do things. Actually, we already know of at least one mimetic hack uh, for uh, people with, with the epilepsy. Was it, I think, 40 FPS flash? I forgot what the exact frequency. There's a certain frequency, certain flash frequency that will induce a seizure amongst epileptics. 
it's it's basically a mimetic hack. It's a vision hack. And some societies have, have, have gotten to the point where when they fought their war, they fought with every weapon available, including taking people over through mimetic hacks. You know, so you have some sort of protection system. Uh, and, and of course, you also have a wildfire containment system for anything for any biologicals you have. Comes complete with a nuclear warhead to blow it up, <laughs> just in case. And the warhead's in the megaton range. They want to make sure it gets blown up real good. And the corporate version, uh, basically, instead of nuclear weapons, they have asteroid movers and non-nuclear missile missiles. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and a bunch of refurbished FedEx expedited delivery shuttles. The kind that come in glowing red hot when they hit the ground. Uh, and pretty much everything the, the government has in terms of other things. And they just have a... a but they'll... Instead of the government uh, trying to destroy mimetic hacks, they have a mimetic threat level containment system. It's so they can study the mimetic hack and see if they can use it for, the, for other things. And what I call the Andromeda class containment pod. Uh, this is the the poor man's version of the wildfire. No, you know, no nuclear weapons, but it's still, you know, you, you don't attach it to the ship. You put it in orbit, and you aim all your big weapons at it. So if anything happens, you blow it out of the sky. Basically, combat archaeologists go places where things will eat you, literally, and you'll be alive all the way through the process of being eaten. Ooh. Maybe, maybe, yeah. If it's a, if it's a, a, you know, people tend not to survive being eaten, even partially. Well, I'm thinking of a of a nanoclaps world, which is one of the places you might find, uh, where you're literally are being turned into a nano machine. You stay conscious all the way through the process. But yeah, it's and and then of course operations basically you know when you pull in the system everyone's going to do this everyone's going to look around and see where everything is you know make first off when you appear in a system you're going to appear randomly within the uh, the C or D zones FTL uses zones for um, placement of worlds and so forth and D, uh, around a G type star D uh, C zone starts at about five AU's out. So you'll be popping out about five AUs, but you're going to pop out wherever, literally. So yeah, it, it's you know you got to figure out where where are we in the system? Where is the system? Where are all the planets? Oh, okay, there is the planet system. Now we know where we are, uh, and that's when you you go looking. That's when you start doing the study for looking for smaller things you couldn't see with the planetary survey. Uh, one thing you also it's hard to determine on a world: are there anyone? Are there anyone home? I mean, the easiest way is looking for fire. Are there fire light, fire lights all over the night side of the planet? Oh, there's people there. Okay, are they are they are they a threat? Eh, we'll find out. Are they the original inhabitants? You know, the, you know, or are they uh, or are they a known species? Do you you look down there as a bunch of whirs in that world? Okay, and the whirs don't know and the whirs don't know about them. Hmm, you know, things like that. Um. You're also looking for things like electrical lights. And you're looking for things in orbit. They go beep, beep, beep. And typically, if you're a government or a university or corporate, that's what you put on. You put a uh, some satellites in high in, uh, in uh, planetary, not in planetary, but in solar orbit, or system star, star orbit, wave goodbye and go back home. And then that's when you send in the uh, the diplomats to go talk to these folks because yeah people kind of you know they're, if they're in space they may be able to shoot you down 
because yeah, they may not take a liking for you landing and digging digging up their ancient relics. Yeah, right. Exactly. They're gonna they're gonna be pretty nasty. If they and they have enough foresight and technology to possibly be a threat. And of course, they have home court advantage. Yep, and they're the bottom of the gravity well, and they can throw things up at you all day long. And nuclear weapons always work. You know, that's one thing in FTL. There are no shields. There, there are no no shields, no magic transporters. You know, you know, from you know, if you can make nuclear weapons, you can take out, you can take down the big, the biggest, baddest aliens you ever saw out there because nuclear weapons still work, and they do lots of damage when they hit things. Yeah, so yeah, it's something there you know to consider. Uh, but once you determine it, it's it's okay. I mean, if there are natives, but they're not high tech, you might be they might be able to help you find digs, but you, know, you want to keep them at arm's length, and it'll take a while to be able to talk to them because we don't have magic translators. You may have a telepath though. The telepath might be able to talk to them, but yeah, but no magic translators like in Star Trek. Yeah, you, know, you know, you're gonna to have to figure out how they how they how they talk and so forth. But you yeah. might need the need the and what do they call it in, in the '92 edition of French worthy the Amuse a Savage kit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and and, and and that would be it would be amusing. Uh, but if if there's no one home, hey, okay, then we'll just start doing scans. And this is something that's been happening recently in our in in the real world. There have been so many archaeological digs and places found through uh, LIDAR surveys, through deep penetrating, penetrating radar surveys, ground penetrating radar from orbit surveys, from uh, good old-fashioned uh, Landsat surveys. I mean, Landsat was actually the first one that, that, that discovered it, it would show difference in plant growth based on underground structures. And lidar can give you a uh, can give you a type, you know, basically the ground the ground height, and you can show off regular features. And I imagine it's even better things in twenty four forty eight. So yeah, you never set foot in the plant until you do a proper satellite survey, polar orbit, of course. You put everything in polar orbit so you can scan the entire surface. It'll take a month to bring lots of satellites, so it goes faster, and you'll be able to spot. Lots of candidates. In fact, you'll spot more candidates than you can actually ever dip, possibly dig. You know, so you, you know, so th this is where you sit down and said, okay, we need to do a little uh, parsing here and figure out what ones here are, are are the best places for us to dig. So, I almost want to say, obviously, places that look, that look like big cities, because that's where you're going to find stuff. Yeah, uh, uh, but also you want to look for things that are, you know. Say this this race used to be able to go in space, so you can look for places that have large, white areas with large with large hard concrete pads. That's usually a sign of a space launch facility. Another good place to dig. So there's candidates, and you'll probably find you'll probably break it down to like the top twenty sites you like. And then of that top 20, you'll take it down to five. And then you probably land and dig it. And those five is that you'll land rovers at. And then the rovers will go and look around and see things and do a ground view and so forth. And once you figure out which one of those fives you like, then you land and you do you start your dig. <laughs> and you start you know prepping things and you walk the site and all the fun things you do, which take forever and usually ends up with you with a, with a camel hair brush and a trowel brushing away at something. 
well, actually, no, with the amount of automation available these days, it's a robot doing it for you, but still, it's the same thing. It's, it's, you're removing small layers of dirt, bagging that dirt, and then sifting the dirt for more stuff. You know, it's, it's a lot of sifting, and a lot of bagging, and a lot of, and a lot of tedious, slow digging, and documenting everything if you're legitimate. But, these days, you don't sit there and draw by hand. You can actually have LiDAR systems in place and scanners in place to basically every five minutes it takes a picture in 3D, and, you know, where everything is. And you, and, but the, the goal for these things are that you could literally put everything back where you, took, you got it from. You know, so you can reconstruct the site as you found it. John, you've been throwing around another term that people may not know, LiDAR. Oh, uh, LiDAR is the, is the laser equivalent of radar. Basically, it uses the laser to uh, scan an area. It's, it's, basically, radar operates at the meter size uh, frequencies. LiDAR operates at the nanometer scale. Okay. So you get finer details. Um, actually, that, that is something we do have to remember when we, when we get into our passions. Yeah. You with FTL, me with my fandoms, Joe's first. We tend to throw around acronyms, and we should stop and explain them for the uninitiated. Yeah, actually, I was—I just saw a documentary about Pompeii, and they've been using lidar now to lidar and three D scanners to scan Ooh. Pompeii, and nice. they know, and they, and basically, it makes all the previous maps look sick. It's they have full three D models, and then they can use those models to build, reconstruct things. So yeah, it's it's. What they have in the future, we don't know. I mean, you probably walk around with eight, with augmented reality uh, devices, and you just walk along, and you can look at things, and you see your your current reconstructions. Um, you know, through your through your. Oh, oh I got it. Kind of like okay, in the beginning of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, mm -hmm. that oh, that Star Lord was moving around, and he was getting illusions of what happened there previously. Yeah, something like that. Only yeah. in this case, it's re it's. It's not what really happened. It's what they think happened. But still, you know, it still works. I mean, uh, uh, augmented reality is, is going to be a big thing. And it's or, and a lot of things are already. I, I keep my fingers on that. And augmented reality is the next big thing once they figure out how to do it at, at any speeds worthwhile. Um, uh, but, yeah, that's beside the point. But, yeah, once you've, once you've found, you know, once you found a place to dig and you start digging, eh, this is where it gets boring. This, if I was trying to use it as a game... Uh, I would go from the point where we came in the system and just have people make a bunch of skill rolls for 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 determining where things are. And basically, they're gonna yeah. find, they're gonna find stuff. But the better the better the roll, the better the things they're gonna find. You know, this is where and you know I'm not gonna have them say, okay, now roll again to see if you make a dex roll, see if you can actually scrape off that bit, bit of soil off that artifact and not break it. Now I'm not gonna have them do that. That's boring. That's tedious. You know, basically we're gonna skip. We're gonna skip to where you find something. You know, and and we're not talking about these plants too. You can be digging on on moons as well. In fact, moons are a great place to look for intact gear. You know, the Apollo landers, the the, the lunar modules, at least the, the lower halves, are going to be more or less in pristine condition until, well, I'd say for a couple million years before they finally finally break down, either from micrometeor impacts or just get buried in enough dust to, you know, crush them. They're going to be, you know, they are the, uh, that's the place you're going to find the intact technology. So if they were spacefaring people, you look at the moons. 
because that's where you're going to find stuff because people like to settle on moons and, and dig things and mine things and so forth. You'll find lots of things on those moons. And there's also a good chance of maybe finding something semi-intact, maybe, if it's young enough. If it's old, if it's too old, it's, it's not going to be intact. But yeah, hey, something a thousand years old might be still functional. You just need to give it some power. <laughs> Clean those uh, solar panels off and bring some power back in. Hope it doesn't eat you. I mean, I hope everything works. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, those are those are the places. Of course, that means you're running around in spacesuits or in uh, other things to do that. And uh, uh, hopefully, the atmosphere inside is compatible. Um, all you need is some like a bunch of Pandorans, you know. Uh, I found this out. I figured out what the I had to read their actual website for the movie Avatar, not the other Avatar, the Avatar by James by um, what's his name James Cameron. James Cameron. Cameron. Yeah. yeah. Basically, uh, Pandora has fourteen percent carbon dioxide in its atmosphere compared to Earth, which only has point zero four percent carbon dioxide. So yeah, it's uh, if you run into you know you might run into a world where you need to wear rebreathers of some sort because basically the life there likes lots of carbon dioxide and we don't. But yeah, that's different. That's a different thing. And or they they have other gases that you have to worry about. Well, you wouldn't need a rebreather, John. You just need a filter, a molecular filter. Yeah. Because oxygen O two is smaller mm-hmm. than CO two, and therefore. You make your filter correctly, and oxygen just flows through it, and the CO2 stays outside. Yeah, you, basically, you can use a version of a scrubber, basically. It's not even a scrubber, John. It's done by you know pure osmotic pressure. Yeah, that's true. Yep, you're right. That would work. Um, of course, you, I would say you probably would put scrubbers on your bases, though, just so you can pull, so you can get oxygen inside your bases and not worry about all the CO2. But yeah, your facilities. But yeah, but yeah, it's basically it's a lot of digging, and and basically, you know, if you find a tomb, you don't crack it open like Howard Carter did. You drill a tiny little hole, put through a little fiber optic probe, and look around inside before you crack it open and see what's in there, you know. And and it's basically rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. You keep, you know, you, it's over and over. So this is, you know, like I said, you basically this is. Things everyone, you know, a lot of folks would do. This may be, you know, what your what your players do. For all I know, there's a bunch of uh, archaeologists and paleontologists who want to go. I want to do a space game. Hey, <laughs> and they'll do it right. Um, but you know, players would probably just come and do a quick orbital survey. You know, find something they, they that looks that looks nice. You know, basically they make their rolls. They you know they make their rolls and they go. Hey, we're going to land here. Then that's that's absolutely fine. Because you know you're gonna find something, you always will. Because I'm mean, guaranteed if you're if you're if, if you're if you're gonna do a xenoarchaeology and your GM's on it, you're gonna find something. Whether or not you have any warning about what you find, that's up to the GM <laughs> at that point. But you're gonna find something. Um, uh, I should probably mention if you do get into trouble, uh, competent archaeologists are pro- depending on what the trouble is may or may not rescue you. They may just shoot you in the head just to be safe. Yeah, because of that robots, and you know, and and stuff like that. But yeah, but combat ar- ar- archaeologists operate a little differently. They basically, if there are any survivors, they look at the survivor reports, and then they basically try to neutralize the threat. They'll send down two shuttles with with the with the combat archaeologists and assault and an assault team. If they get in trouble, they'll send down two more, uh, with more assault troops, and if they get bogged down, 
the next two shuttles are, are really won't land. They'll fly over and drop neutron weapons to kill everyone there. And then they'll bombard the site from orbit. Because let's be honest, if, if two sets of ICL of, of a cracked assault team are being taken over by whatever's down there, you're not, I'm sorry. We're, you're kill not, it with fire. Yeah, kill it with fire and, and kill the people really quick and use neutron weapons to do that. Cause that kills them really fast and neutrons go through everything. See, someone can put you behind heavy shielding, won't stop neutrons. Fast neutrons go through just about everything. So yeah, fast neutrons, bang, kill everyone there. And then nuke the place from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Uh, but yeah, it's something, you know, so hopefully it's not that bad and you can get rescued. Um, but yeah, yeah. so uh, any questions, guys? Or uh... No, I mean, you seem to be, you know, preeminently... Suited for this topic. I mean, not only as I said, FTL 2448 is your jam, also, you having taken archaeology courses mm-hmm. in the past. I mean, this oh, yeah, you, you know, you kind of made your own meal ticket this week here. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, in the I, I took classes back in the 80s, and right now, what I learned in those 80s has been completely superseded. I mean, there's so much new technology. New computers are just being considered for archaeological digs. I mean, if there's any, if there's any, if there's the most conservative people you run into are archaeologists. They've been, you know, if you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, and it's taking them years. I mean, look at the beginning of um, Jurassic Park. They had to convince them that, yes, we can use ground penetrating radar to find stuff in the ground before you start digging up everywhere. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Of course, all this digging and stuff, it's good, but the big question is, how old is it? And this can be difficult because we can date things on Earth because, well, we've been trying to, you know, date things on Earth for the past 200 years. Actually, more, more like 300 years. Well, let's see. We have the two methods of dating that I know of. Of course, carbon dating. Yep. That's the one everyone knows. I want to say there's another one called potassium argon. Uh, uranium is usually that. Various uranium. Basically, radiometric is the okay. is the it's and also is known as an absolute measurement. Basically, absolute measurements will tell you will give you an idea of how far back in time it is. Then there are relative measurements, which is to tell you what's older than, you know, is this thing older than this thing? And the, the best, yeah. rule, and the best rule of thumb is the older the thing is, the deeper it is. Of course, erosion will expose stuff and, you know. Oh, yeah. But still, if you got a good geologist on board, he can look around and say, yeah, that's, that's old rock. Cause I can see it over there on that hillside. So this stuff used to be, used to be under stuff like that. You know, and things like that. I don't see why bringing a geologist on an archaeological dig would be a bad idea. I think that would be a fantastic <laughs> idea to have because you have to deal with rock. You have to deal with the strata. Yep. You have to deal with the various types of rock dependent on the area of the world that you're on. Yep. Oh, yeah. I would think bringing a geologist would be one of the first thing. okay, we need this guy. Yeah, I mean, paleontology is actually is a branch. Technically, paleontology is study of dinosaurs. It is a kind of a branch of geology as well, which I yeah. really found interesting. Uh, you also want to probably bring along a biologist because that, that ain't, ain't going to hurt either. You know, especially if you find something and you said, "Is it really from this planet or is it from someplace else?" You need that biologist. Uh, basically, everyone, everyone's favorite method of 
you know, carbon-14 is only good for like 50,000 years, but you need a yardstick for that. You need some sort of calibration for that, and that's going to be difficult uh, depending on the world. If you're lucky and there's plants that grow like trees, then you got your you got a yardstick. Okay. You can look at you can count rings. If they grow like bamboo, there ain't nothing there. That, bamboo doesn't bamboo grows like grass, and there's no yeah. rings in grass or the or ferns. Ferns may may or may not give you something to count. <sighs> depends on how the, 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 the depends on exactly how they grow. Uh, but yeah, but getting that, but at least with carbon fourteen, you can at least determine its production rates currently in the atmosphere, and they are kind of constant. I mean, carbon fourteen is formed by cosmic rays, and we pretty much would know by twenty four forty eight the cosmic ray rate over a large area. Therefore, you can at least have a, a vague idea of what the calibration is. You don't know exactly how much carbon fourteen is being made in that world in the past, but you do know how much is being right made now. So, if it's within fifty thousand years, you can get you can be accurate within a hundred and so years of how old it is, without without calibrating. You know that's not too bad. Uh, other forms are you know depending on various uh, uh, using uranium. Uh, there are some uranium dating systems that actually will get you within 80,000 years um, of, of a date. So there's various methods. Uh, one method, actually, which you can determine fairly easy and fairly directly on moons is cut is dust deposition. It's more or less constant. And if something's got a thin film of dust, fairly recent, got an inch of dust, been there for a million years. You know, things like that. You know, you can count how thick the dust is. And you can even ch see what kind of dust it is. It may change over time. Uh, you know, but that's, you know, but like I said, the best rule of thumb is deeper it is, the older it is. And you can, you, you can, and if you have a geologist along, he at least work out how fast imitation works in this world because it always will be different due to air pressure, hydrographic percentage, and gravity. Because gravity will determine how fast things erode to. On a high G world, the same kind, same level of erosion that we see on Earth may happen twice as fast, because things move faster and grind faster and grind harder, you know. But yeah, so you've done your dig, you yeah, and you got down to the thing, and you and what do you find? Well, like I said, ninety nine percent of everything in a dig is garbage, L literal garbage. I mean that we we are able to reconstruct life in life in Rome, life in Egypt based on their garbage you know because when you're digging at when you're digging a house or digging a, a, a building uh that's been you know you're digging its foundation you're digging what was left behind you're digging that's garbage and we've gotten really good at reading garbage determining how people lived uh places like pompeii or santorini they're the they're the exception to the rule uh they got buried in situ and uh yeah, they, they are fairly intact, and they've been telling us a lot. But for the most parts, it's ruins, and it's garbage, and you're digging through someone's trash middens, or you're going through their cesspits and figuring out what they ate for dinner. You know, cropolites is a perfectly good study for, for information. Look that one up. I'm not going to explain that one. <laughs> but yeah, you're going to find mostly garbage, uh, so it may give you some more information, but at least it will give you a background on the culture. You'll find, you know, the equivalent of newspapers, and maybe you might be able to read them or at least 
figure out what the num what their number system is. Maybe if they have the if they have a, if they use number systems to number pages, they may actually be crazy people and not number their pages <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, lots of ruins, mostly foundations, maybe some underground buildings. If it's a advanced civilization, uh, you remember the TV series After Man? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah, uh, there they pointed out that in New York City, the one place that would be more or less intact half a million years from now is the vaults under the under the Federal Reserve. Oh yeah, they'll be mostly intact. They'll be underwater, but they'll be mostly intact. So when you're digging that city, you'll be finding their equivalent of vaults. They're the things that are basically built like fortresses, and they'll probably what's inside of them will probably be intact. It might be flooded, but it may be intact. And you might and those would be great places to dig out once you figure how to get through the several feet of concrete and steel to get at them. Uh, if you're on a, you might find if it's recently enough, say within a thousand years, you'll find broken things. You might find a rusted out vehicle, uh, or if it's made out of some sort of strange plastic, it may still be intact. In fact, plastic things will be around forever because they take a lot, take a longer to break down in the in the environment. So you'll find lots of broken plastic stuff uh, up on, on on airless moons or in orbit. You'll find a lot of broken satellites. You'll find maybe a dead spaceship. You'll find lots of you know stations that got hulled, uh, you know, by by a meteor or something like that, and, or the people decided, well, everyone's dead on the planet, so we're just gonna open up the airlocks and die here, uh, and you'll find things. Yeah, well, it, it happens, you know, or you find an intact station on a on a planet, but on a moon, sorry, but everything inside has been corroded because it was very well sealed and the oxygen in the atmosphere. Well, it had a thousand years to work on everything, and it corroded everything. So you might everything there has basically been corroded by the oxygen in the atmosphere. You know things like that. They had you know really good seals on their doors, so it never lost pressure. Um, but yeah, a lot of broken machines. Then the stuff everyone drools over: operational devices. Not everything in orbit is going to be dead. Every, you know, it may just have a hole through it. And all you need to do is repair that hole. It works. You just need to give it some power. Hopefully at a thousand kilometers away from you when you turn it on. Pointed away from you. Uh, but yeah, it's almost always in space you're going to find stuff like that. You're going to find stuff in orbit. Um, uh, uh, L5 colonies, like the O'Neill cylinders or the Brunel balls. Uh, you might find them, but they're if it's been a thousand years... Good, you know, and no one's been watching for rocks and asteroids. They almost all of them have been hauled. There's a big old hole in them, but still, those are great places to go look for stuff because hey, it's only a small hole the size of size of of, a, of of the Titanic through one one of these windows. Nothing else was hurt, so there's a lot of stuff that go looking in those things. They're still spinning, probably not in a way that makes docking easy, but yeah you can probably get in there and see what you can find. So yeah, there's a lot of things to go looking for, for stuff. And hopefully none of it will try to kill you. Which brings us to the next thing you're going to run into. The Great Machines. To be continued. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, 
you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts. Cause we're some bad mothers.